Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Tonight, we ask you by the Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to communicate with our hearts, to renew our conscience and our spiritual life, and we pray that you would do all that through the reading, sharing, and listening to the Word of God. We pray that in this time tonight, your Holy Spirit would literally take the control of these next moments and make it a true communication above any ability or limitations I have, as well as with all of us hearing your word. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to tell the story about Lazarus. You know, I have a, a, a conviction, I guess. I, I don't want to call it a theory because it's not that complex. I, I have a conviction, and I think it's borne out in the scripture, that we have, we have recorded of Jesus' ministry about three and a half years or, or so, three years and some months. We don't know everything he did, but we know a lot of what he did. And, and we can sort of trace his, his progress from one town to another, one miracle to another, one event to another. One thing, and this is my conviction, uh, we have signs and evidences that as Jesus was ministering in these three and a half years, there are times where, where he seemed to have these reflective moments where he stopped and said, I'm going to go here and here's what's going to happen. Or it said he, know, he knew that his time was about to come. Or in the case of the miracle at Cana, the water into wine, he said to his mother, my time has not yet come. My conviction is that I think Jesus was fairly, fairly aware of, of the duration of his ministry and, and the, the destination of his ministry. So while a lot of things can happen in three and a half years and there's a lot of personal stories and there's, and there's a lot of drama and rejoicing and sadness and, and hope and, and teaching and arguments as people disagreed with him, uh, all of that happened. I think that Jesus had a crescendo of appreciation for where his ministry was going. And the reason I'm pointing that out because, is because the story of Lazarus, as we're going to read it tonight, really opens up, I think, that concept. As, as we look at the story that, that Lazarus being sick and dying and being raised from the dead, as we look at that, we don't know exactly when it happened, but, but it was certainly not more than a few weeks before Jesus was crucified and probably not less than one week before. So by the time this event happened in Bethany, Jesus was focused. He knew that the days, it was days, not weeks and months, before he was to die. Now the reason I'm going to share that is because there's one other dynamic that I think is worth considering. Jesus did miracles, hundreds, maybe thousands, dozens that we have recorded that we can examine. As he did them, his motive for doing them always seemed to contain a human compassion element. To the leper, we spoke about him, who, who had leprosy, who fell down on his face and said, you can heal me if you want to. It was compassion. I want to. And he reached out his hand and touched him. 
Other people it said he was moved with compassion. Uh, the widow who lost her son and he raised her from the dead. It said he had felt compassion for the woman who was to be desolate without the help of her son. This miracle, the miracle of Lazarus, contains another element. Although I'm sure in many cases Jesus did his miracles as evidence that he was God in human form, we don't have a lot of them where he sort of put an exclamation point on that miracle and say, see, God and I are here as one. We don't have a lot of those. With the story of Lazarus, we have that exclamation point. We have Jesus doing more than just ministering out of compassion. He had compassion. It said he wept at his tomb. But it was more than that. It was Jesus saying, I'm about to die, and everything that I'm working toward is coming to a head. And this miracle, this story, is going to be an example, a pre-example of what I'm going to do. It's going to be a miracle that's going to show you who I am and it's going to miracle, a miracle that will illustrate what we've done. One last comment, because the, the, mir- the story pretty much reads itself and tells itself as we read it. One last comment. The miracle of Lazarus is one of three main miracles that had a big effect on Jerusalem. Many of the miracles that Jesus did, he did in the province of Galilee. Some of them in Judea, but only two notable physical miracles did he do in the city of Jerusalem. We spoke about both of them. The man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. You remember that story? That was inside the city of Jerusalem and he was lame, correct? Couldn't couldn't walk, but now he can. The other miracle, notable miracle inside Jerusalem was the man who was born blind and Jesus healed him. You remember we spoke about that miracle. So two physical healings Powerful miracles that happened inside the city of Jerusalem were the man who was lame, the man who was blind. Now this is a beautiful thing and I'm taking this from our tour in Israel. But in 2 Samuel 5, when David was to conquer the ancient city of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of the city taunted him. And they said, David couldn't conquer our city if only the lame and the blind were there. Interestingly enough, when Jesus, who took the throne of David, came into the city, he healed two people, the lame and the blind. Interesting thought. But the last miracle was Lazarus. Although not inside the city, it was just a short distance away and immediately got the attention of the Jewish leaders. After the healing of the blind man, they convened, if you remember, the Sanhedrin, and they had this big debate about it, who, who he was and if he was blind and how could this have happened, and it stirred up trouble. The miracle of Lazarus was to push that trouble over the edge of the table. And we're going to read about that just now. So let's read the story, John chapter 11. We'll read sections at a time. It's, it's a beautiful story, and it is a fairly detailed story. So we'll read a section at a time and make some comments, starting right from the first verse. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. They were expecting the human compassion Jesus to respond and say, well, okay, I'm coming. 
But when Jesus heard it, notice this different approach. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Let's pause a second. I gave you the preface of what the conviction I had about what Jesus was, I think, thinking here. To say that I believe Jesus was taking a much broader view of humanity by the time he dealt with Lazarus. I think he was going to use the story of Lazarus to illustrate what he had come to do for all of the human race. And I think he was about to, he was about to make Lazarus an example of what mankind was and he was about to do a miracle that showed all mankind who he was. And what was the first proclamation? This is not going to end in death. He didn't say he wouldn't die. He didn't say, he said it wouldn't end in death. And I want you to think of that as a proclamation for all of humanity. Through the eyes of Jesus and through, through his mouth as he was speaking these words was Almighty God speaking to humanity. And he was looking at humanity who had become captive to their sin, who had become an outsider to God because of their rebellion, who was living in darkness and groveling in need. And he was looking at them and realizing that because of what they have done, the sentence of death was upon them. And there was, there was no way for them to have just a plain good life without a Savior. And he also realized, I am that Savior. And he said, I'm not going to Lazarus right now, but you can be assured of one thing. It will not end in death. You and I go through things in life that aren't fun. We face physical death, but because of the Savior, we can say our lives will not end in death. How many of you are glad they won't? Lazarus' sickness, verse 4, will not end in death. No, he said, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed there where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? That was reference to the miracle of the man born blind and the Sanhedrin and all the trouble he got in for that miracle. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But, as night, but at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I go and wake him up. This is fun because they didn't get this at all. <laughs> the disciples were just hoping to save their skin from a, a Jerusalem stoning. And they said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's, he will soon get well. He, he's, he's on the mend. And they thought Lazarus, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that he had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go to him. Can, can, you, can you sense that exclamation point attitude in Jesus here? Right from the beginning, he was saying, listen, I'm not going, 
And don't worry, it's not going to end in death. And I love Mary and Martha, but we're staying right where we are. And don't worry, it's not for death. And you need to realize I didn't go on purpose. It's better than I did because you wait, boys. A little bit, that is what he's saying. Verse 16, Thomas, got to love this. Nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with them. I, I, I love the, I mean, the, this is just real life. I mean, you can make this all spiritual, but the first guys were like, no, he's getting better, Lord. He's sleeping. Whew. Great. Oh, he's dead, and I'm going to wake him up. And they go, oh, man. Thomas says, well, let's all go die. <laughs> 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Don't you just love that? You need a miracle from God and everybody has to tell you how impossible it is because it's extra hard. It's like, I'm going to walk on the water today. Oh, well, you should know it's storming today. You picked a bad day. Well, if he's dead three days, can you raise him? Two? One? Does it matter if he's a pile of dust or he's dead one day? None of us are pulling him out of that grave. Jesus isn't moved. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she sent to meet him, and, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, he's going to hear this more than once, if only you had been here, my brother would have never died. That was heartfelt. That, that's just right from her heart. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Seems to be that she's really opening up a door, doesn't it? Verse 23, Jesus said to her, okay, you ready? Martha, ready? Your brother will rise again. Yes, <laughs> she said, he'll rise at the resurrection. I thought you just said God will give you whatever you ask. Well, yeah, but not that. At the resurrection day, he'll rise again. We know that. Here's, here's, the ex, here's the sentence that Jesus is putting the exclamation point behind. Right here. This is the, the highlight of all of the story. The miracle itself isn't the highlight. This is the highlight. This whole story was provocative and intense. This was Jesus not being compassionate, gentle Savior. This was Jesus as the Son of God saying, stand back and watch. He said to Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God. That's saying something for her. The one who has come into the world from God. This little discourse ends for a moment. Hear those words of Jesus, standing there with a crowd of people around him. The, the, the pessimist reminding him that he's been dead for four days. The compassionate, hurting sister telling him that the obvious, if you had been here, Lord, he would have never died. I've seen you heal the sick. 
but you weren't here. Martha, do you believe? Your brother will rise again. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. I know that. I believe in the resurrection, Lord. I, I believe the Bible. How many of us do that? When we feel like God comes to our life and says, I can do something for you, you say, oh, of course, I believe you can. I believe the Bible. There's, it, there's a difference between believing in the Bible and believing the word that Jesus speaks to you right at this moment. Yes, Lord. I believe. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus saw Lazarus, I believe, as he sees all of us. Painful, suffering, trapped by our sin, doomed to death. Even the best of our days, Moses lamented in Psalm 90, our 70, 80 years, and most of those are hardship and sorrow. Jesus saw that. And he said, I want you to see, now that we're so close to my hour, I want you to see who I am. I didn't just come to be a gentle savior. I come to ransom all of humanity. I've come to raise humanity from their death and from their graves. I haven't come just to heal them, only to have them die again. I've come to give them life now and eternal life forever so that even if you die, you will live again. And if you believe in me, you'll never really die. Your body may fall into the ground. But if you believe in me, I am your resurrection and you will live forever it was an intense moment down to verse 28 and she returned to Mary the other sister uh, she called Mary aside from the mourners and said the teacher is here and he wants to see you so Mary immediately went to him and Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to the grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived, she saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, here it is, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the other people wailing with her, he sees this. Now, I just want you to pause for a moment at the scene. It's, it's worse than a funeral. It's the discovery that a funeral has already happened. And it's, it's the, the most awkward moment. There's blame happening. There's sorrow. There's weeping. There's wailing. There's a sense of death and hopelessness. And Jesus has already said, I'm coming to do a miracle, guys. And all that light confronts all that darkness. All that hope of God confronts all that weeping and sadness of man. The life confronts death. And right there they meet. It said, when Jesus saw this, a deep anger this is a New Living Translation. It, it, it's true to the original intent of the scripture, even though it uses the words a little more freely than the others. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. I, I don't know exactly why. 
it says it the way it does. I'm not sure why the deeply troubled and the very angry. I, I would perhaps guess that Jesus being human, part of him couldn't help but identify with the, the weeping and the sadness of the crowd around him. But Jesus being God and knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead also knew that we've, we've got to break through this wall of hopelessness. And I think if there was anger, my, my idea is that Jesus was looking at all of humanity. I think when Jesus looked at that stone over that tomb and he looked at Mary and Martha and the whole village weeping and he thought of Lazarus being an otherwise good man I think he wept and was angry for what sin had done to all of us don't you think Jesus could have thought for that moment of all the wars and all the injustices all the children who had starved, all the people who had been abused, all the innocent people who had been killed, the terrible things that had happened to humanity from the beginning of creation to the very end of time. Don't you think Jesus could have looked at that and thought, oh, why did this happen? But then also realize that I've come so that it will not have to end in death. It doesn't have to be the last story. Injustice, suffering, premature death, ununderstandable suffering. These things are not the end of mankind. If people meet Jesus, there is life after that death. And I think Jesus is trying to illustrate that very thing. They told him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The people who were standing there said, nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus said. He's angry. He's not, guys, come on, roll the stone. Get that stone out of here. Martha said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that if you would, you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, I want you to watch this prayer. It really is not a prayer at all. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud. Remember that he's angry. He's, he's intense right now. I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. Maybe he said it loud enough so all the people crying and wailing and whispering and gossiping would hear him saying, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Ooh, he's praying. So that they'll believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted. There's no way to make this churchy, is it? Lazarus, come out! I don't know what shouting sounds like to you. I could be louder, but it would be too loud through the system. Come out! 
And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. The Jews prepared people for burial by an embalming process that's much different than we do today. But it involved wrapping them in cloths that were mixed with ointments of myrrh and all kinds of other things that were a sticky substance and they wrapped them together, literally making the body look very much like a mummy. It's not something you could walk in. And it's entirely likely that the tomb he was buried in was more of a, of a slot in the ground than it was, you know, a nice bedroom-sized room. The stone's gone. Lazarus, come out! When we were in Israel a couple of times ago, they showed us an example of a tomb that would have probably been Lazarus's. And that, it certainly wasn't his, but something like it. It was a tube, a carved hole in the ground. I mean, why am I saying that? There's no way you come crawling and clawing your way out of that like some ghost. Lazarus would have probably shot out of that thing like a missile coming out of a submarine. Boom. And he's standing there like a mummy, face covered up with a cloth. I bet they're not whispering anymore. And what does Jesus say? Unbind him, let him go. Yes, sir. And they're pulling his grave cloths off. And all the whispering stops. And all the weeping stops. All the gossiping stops. And they're saying ahead of time what Thomas said when he put his finger into the hole of Jesus' hand. My Lord and my God, you are the resurrection. You are the life. I think Jesus was angry at the thousands of years of suffering that humanity was in. I think Jesus was saddened and angry at the, at the pain and the sorrow that sin had caused mankind. And I think Jesus came and said, I am the resurrection and the life. In many cases up until now, I've restrained myself. But just this once, a week before I'm going to die, I'm going to show you who I am. And I'm going to show you that if there's hope for a dead man rotting for four days, there's hope for everyone and regardless of your suffering I will be your answer I believe that's what Jesus was saying when he spoke to Lazarus well verse 45 we'll just read the rest because it's really just a beautiful story many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen you think? <laughs> I don't know maybe yeah I think but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called a high council together. Remember what they did with the man born blind? They called the Sanhedrin. This was back-to-back -back emergency meetings with the council. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should be destroyed, comma. He wasn't saying 
because he believed in some spiritual thing. He was just trying to justify their action. They were going to condemn Jesus to death, and he was justifying it. He knew that an innocent man would be murdered, and he didn't care. He said, it's better for us to murder one innocent man than to let the Romans come and kill us all. That's, that's what he meant to say, but he didn't realize it, that he was speaking God's word. One man should die for us all. He didn't say it as his own, as a high priest at that time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered all around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. Now, when it says they plotted his death, this was the second council meeting in a matter of weeks where they decided that Jesus had to had to go away this time it was official they later added an amendment to their ruling that said Lazarus also must die because you can't leave a witness like him around this and the later meeting was when they also decided how will we kill him he's so popular We've got to have an opportunity, a way to do it where it won't cause a riot. And Judas came and said, I'll give you that opportunity. He said, what do you want for it? How about 30 pieces of silver? And the prophecy of Zechariah was fulfilled. They counted my price among me, among them, 30 pieces of silver. All of this was happening. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and he left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and there he stayed with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration and many people came from all over the country, arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could be go through the purification ceremony before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come to Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. It was the purification of the Passover. One of the things that Passover requires of the Jewish families is that for the week of Passover, they go through everything in their home and they cleanse it. They seek for anything that had yeast, which was, which was a symbol of, of sin that, that was important to them. So anything that had yeast in their cupboards and their food, anything that could have been unclean, it was a true spring cleaning, but a spiritual one. The week of Passover. I'll remind you, which isn't totally relevant to this story, that on the week, on the day Monday of this week we call Holy Week, Jesus goes into his house, the temple. And what does he do there? He finds it all cluttered up with people taking advantage of others, profiting, exchanging money for exorbitant fees in the temple, and he turns those tables over. And he takes a whip, you remember, and he drives those people out and he cleanses his house for Passover. Because in 
Four more days, the lamb would be slain. These were the events of Jesus. This is a story of Lazarus. And you see my conviction, and that's all it is, I could be wrong. But my conviction is, is as Jesus drew near to these moments, he was a little more willing to allow who he really was to be seen. He knew that if he did it too early, it would cause things to happen that would be premature. But with Lazarus, I think this was his most important statement ever. I am the resurrection and the life. Would you stand with me tonight? Three quick thoughts. Our part when it comes to the resurrection and the life is to believe and to roll away our stone. Jesus didn't roll the stone. He said, roll it away. They protested, but get it away. Whatever keeps us locked, it's not God's responsibility to roll away. It's ours to roll it, to give him access to our life. His part is to call us out of that grave. You got to love that song we sing. You called my name and I came running out of that grave. Our last part is to take off the grave clothes. I hope tonight some of us can peel away some of what, what, what we used to be. You see, some Christians are afraid, well, if you see what's really in my heart, no, no, no. What's really in your heart is Jesus the Savior. Maybe your head has problems. Maybe your behavior has problems. But if you're a Christian, what's really in your heart is Jesus. Pull those grave clothes away and you'll see light shining from your heart. Let's pray. Father, tonight we pray that you help us. We pray that you'll take these moments, especially as we think about our, our, our Good Friday services. We think about this weekend celebrating your resurrection. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to process what we heard tonight. Any of us mourning, help us to look to you. Any of us afraid, help us to hear you speak. Any of us hiding behind a stone, help us roll it away. Those of us bound up by claws of death, help us to peel them back. We ask it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed tonight, if you're here, I want to give you this opportunity. You see, having this experience with Jesus requires one step of faith from you. One, to believe what Martha said. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. To believe that Jesus died for your sins and to trust him with your life opens your life to salvation. How many of you here tonight would raise your hand and say, I want to believe and I want to trust him. This is my night to do that. I haven't and I want to tonight. It can be your day of eternal life. Raise your hand if that's you so we can pray with you. Okay, thank you tonight. Others, yes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. The prayer will be as important to you as you want it to be. I'll ask you to repeat the words after me simply and a few at a time. All of us together will join you in support if you raise your hand. Would you say together, please, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you died on the cross to take away my sin. I believe you rose from the dead Lord Jesus, 
I have sinned. I give you my life. I ask you to forgive and cleanse me from all wrong. And I ask you to make me God's child. I give you all that I am for now and forever. Amen. Father, thank you for all of us here tonight, especially those who stretch themselves to make this commitment. We pray your blessing on us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be dismissed. If you would like prayer for something, we will have people at our altar to pray for you. Please come forward.